Welcome to No Compromise, where faith and reason fuse in conversation. Hello, Johnny. Hello, my love. Hello, everyone. Okay, so this past Monday, you posted the second half of your David Smalley interview for The Christian Atheist. Last week, we spent some time talking about the first half of that interview. Right. And the subject was the rigid order of inquiry. Right. I hope that was valuable for everyone. And we said last, no compromise, that we were going to talk about faith this week. Right. In relation to the David Smalley. But we decided to go a bit of a different way. I think we're tired of the David Smalley interview. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, we also just did the Tom Jump interview. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of worn out on all of the back and forth between atheists and Christians. Yeah, exactly. It's tiring me out and it saddens me. Right. Really. You didn't realize how much it it would. I mean, even a win, and I think this last one was a win, doesn't feel like a win because I don't want to make people feel bad. I don't want to beat people up. I just want the truth. Right. Exactly. And you want them to come to realize the truth. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so like I said, we were planning on using this episode to discuss more on that interview, but we decided to switch gears. To something a little more, I don't know, upbeat? Is it? Paradise Lost? (laughs) (laughs) Literature that's upbeat to you is usually not so upbeat to others. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) You could find joy in Annabelle Lee by Edgar Allan Poe. That's true. I I find great joy. (laughs) <laughs> and lying down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride in her sepulcher there by the sea, in her tomb by the sounding sea. <laughs> That's so funny. I often say that about you. Okay. So you had read Paradise Lost for our Simple Gifts podcast. You had read it without any commentary. Right. We just finished it. And it was almost like a a, a year-long journey. How long did it, it last? It was long. I'm not sure how long, but it was long. And And you were moved by this epic poem. Deeply moved. Yeah, that you wanted to do something with it for the Christian atheists. Right. So we figured, well, let's give it a shot, yeah. see how it comes out on a No Compromise episode. And and would you say you're doing it, you're kind of pulling out its relevance to our modern world? Yeah, I think that we can find a lot of value for Christianity today in Milton's poem. Mm-hmm. And when we say it's an older poem. We're talking about King James yes. English poem. King James English and and written around the same time as John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, yeah. which I yeah. was also reading at the same time. In fact, right. I just finished it tonight right. before we sat right. down to this. So it's almost like its relevance 400 years, almost 400 years later. Yep. <laughs> okay. So this coming Monday is Christian Atheist. You're going to be discussing the first book of Paradise Lost. Right. So we, we're switching gears this week, and we're going to introduce Paradise Lost right. by discussing some of the background information. Which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. It is. All right, so let's get started. I guess we should start by saying that you really, really love Paradise Lost. Yep. yep. And anytime that I'm reading a work for Simple Gifts podcast, you are always sitting on the other side of the desk from me mm-hmm. and get the uh, the joy yeah. of hearing it live with all of the screw-ups before I edit them out. Right, right. <laughs> sometimes... So you've heard a lot of, pa- and then you hear it again, of course, when I'm editing it. Right. So you get saturated with it as well as right. me. Right. And it's made an impression on you. So Deep impression. Okay, so the in fact, I've written poetry that reflects it. (laughs) That's right. Right, our hand in hand, 
Yep. And yeah. for Valentine's, this past Valentine's Day. And yeah, our, our last Valentine's Day was very much influenced by Milton. Right. And the one I just wrote for this Valentine also. That's what, that's what I meant, this Valentine's Day. Oh, this Day. one, yeah. Yep. The, other, well, the other one, too. Yep, Every, exactly. I have a couple different poems that I've written hand in hand in, and that's directly from Milton. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the title of this poem, as we said, is Paradise Lost, and it was written by John Milton. I mean, it was first published in 1667. So right there, you have you're going to have a language barrier, right? It, it is definitely not modern English, but it has that sort of rich beauty. It does that we find in King James English, mm-hmm. which doesn't always lend itself to a quick understanding, mm-hmm. but it does have a richness that our modern, more quick and punctual English doesn't have. Right. Same richness as Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> Pilgrim's Progress doesn't have much richness at all. <laughs> God's going to strike me dead. <laughs> it was it was interesting to read Pilgrim's Progress and Paradise Lost side by time. side. Yeah. Because one is highbrow mm-hmm. and one is definitely not. Right. And that's as far as I will go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So John Milton, the author, he lived in England from 1608 to 1674, Mm -hmm. and that gives you an idea of the world he was living in. And was blind when he wrote this. Yep, yep. A year before his birth, Jamestown had been established in in America. Okay. And then 12 years after his birth, the Pilgrims sailed to America. Wow, so that really puts it in context for how long ago it was. And when he was about 40-ish, that would be the English Civil War, you know it? Okay. Wow. Yeah. Right before Paradise Lost was published, did you realize that the Great Plague had hit London and the Great, and then the Great Fire? Wow. So Milton lived through all of that. Yeah. Right before Paradise Lost was published, those two things happened. So wow, this is all that was going on at the time of Paradise Lost. Wow. That's I I mean, as it was being written. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So he was nearly sixty when he wrote it. Right. How long did it take him to write it? Five years. And he. Of course, didn't write it himself. He had his daughter helped him, and I think some others, others as well. They transcribed. Yeah, they transcribed. Well, I guess he did it from out of his head. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's all you can do when you have like a terrible data plan and you can't spend time watching <laughs> yeah. TikTok and, yep, yep. and keeping the, up on social media. Yeah, huh? yeah the, to... the, uh, the cell towers were pretty weak at yeah. that point. So all you can do is write epic all poetry. All you can do is write epic poetry for, in for a King good time. In King James English. <laughs> in King James English. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, he it says that he started it in 1658, we learned. Okay. But do you remember they said... Yeah, that it stretched back well into his earlier life, yeah. even back into his childhood. Yeah. And it was interrupted because of the English Civil War. Okay. Yeah. As you said, he was blind, and that's pretty incredible. It is. When I think of that, I think of of Beethoven being deaf when he wrote the Ninth yeah. Symphony. But even even though, think of all the struggles you have when you're writing. Oh, you yeah. know how hard and now imagine having to <laughs> not be able to too. see it right. and do it yourself and having to tell somebody else. Yeah. You're like Oh, scratch yeah. that. Get rid of that. Yeah. And you know, you're working well, it out. Yeah. And you know how intensively I read yeah. over everything that I do again and yeah. again and again, correcting, editing. How do you do that? When you're blind. When you're blind you're and somebody else is writing it right. for you. And so I think of, you know, by the time you're done writing something, you're exhausted. Oh, yeah. You just want to curl up and take a nap. Yep. <laughs> and we often do. <laughs> so so the actual poem is called an epic. What, What is an epic, John? 
epic poetry is always a long poem, and it usually tells a grand story uh, of some sort, and it's usually an historical thing, and there's usually heroes and and some sort of tragedy involved. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know what the textbook definition yeah, of it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey are both epics. The Aeneid is an epic. Dante's Inferno and or Dante's um, Divine Comedy is an epic. So yeah. it's that sort of poetry. And that's yeah. definitely what's involved in yeah. Paradise Lost because we tell the entire story of the creation, uh, the fall of Adam and Eve, their casting from the garden, the war in heaven. And, you know, all of these things are contained within this one poem in 12 books mm-hmm. by, by Milton, Paradise Lost. And it's not written, it's not, I mean, it's not rhyming. So if you're Yes, it's in, blank verse. Yeah, if you're into rhyming poetry, this would be... You're in the be. wrong place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, for those who are into the, the geeky information in poetry... Like me? Yeah. <laughs> Where was this written in? It was written in iambic pentameter. Right. Unrhymed iambic pentameter. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, blank verse. Okay, and, and Milton used acrostic too. Yeah, and I never realized that until yeah. we looked it up. Yeah. Yeah. So there were there are various verses that are acrostics. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea which ones. We'd mm-hmm. have to look it up again it was to chapter see. Chapter nine. I know for sure you said chapter nine. Okay. Yeah. So the first version of this poem was published in ten books. And then the year of his death, it was republished into 12 books. Right. You don't know any, like, did he add to it or did they divide it differently? I, I guess no. they divided it differently, but it's possible he added to it too. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It didn't make it clear when we yeah. when we looked it up, did it? And the the 12-book version is the one you're reading right. in Simple so, Gifts. Right. We read it in the 12-book version. And this poem was considered not just his masterpiece, but... It's a historical masterpiece. Oh, it is considered yeah. one of the great poetry pieces in all of English literature, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and he's considered um, one of the greatest. One, Milton is, yeah, one of the greatest poets English, in the English language, English poets, yeah. right up there with Shakespeare. Yeah. So he's an incredibly important. And this poem is, I mean, this is the first time I've read it, mm-hmm. and I was blown away yeah. by it, and I finally understood why someone like C.S. Lewis would talk about it so often yeah. in such glowing terms. Yeah. And, and I guess in a way it's kind of daunting too. Mm-hmm. So one of the benefits I think of it being on our Simple Gifts podcast is that you don't have to be daunted by it. Yeah. I've read it for you. Right. And right. I've tried my best. I mean, I could probably read it better now if I'd go back mm-hmm. through and read it again. Yeah. Especially at the beginning, I think I was a little bit rough. Yeah. But as I started moving through the text it was much easier to read mm-hmm. and understand and find the proper rhythms and meanings in yeah. the text so that you could highlight them properly in the way in which you read it. And so it, I've done a lot of the work for you. And I think it's the kind of thing that every time you read it, you'll you get would, something new for yeah, sure. You probably read it differently every yep. single time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Milton was kind of radical. He was a bit of a radical yeah. in his time. Sure. He actually was anti-monarchical. Yeah. And that's not a safe thing to be in no. in a monarchy. Right, right. <laughs> he, I, I think he was in prison for an extended period, okay. but I'm not sure I about don't... that. Right, and he also had some some difficulties with the church. Yeah, yeah. So I actually sympathize with Milton quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not always on board either with everything yeah. the church says and does. So he didn't set out to write a biblical epic. Um, he wanted to write a traditional epic when he first started. So as epics go, this one follows the traditional composition of an epic like the Odyssey, where where it starts in the middle. 
Right. And medias race, as they, they always say. Mm-hmm. So it jumps into the middle. I used to always tell my students when they would take a philosophy course with me that there's only one place to begin. It's right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Jump right in yeah. because there's no good beginning. And that's exactly what happens in most epic poems. You jump into the middle of the action yeah. and then you follow it where it's going. So let's get to the actual Paradise Lost. The poem is simply put uh, the the biblical story, as you said already, of the fall and beyond, a little beyond. Right. And it begins in the first book after Satan has fallen and is in hell. Um, by the way, real quick, this first book is what you're going to be looking at on Monday for the Christian Atheist, and then we'll discuss it on No Compromise. Right. Okay, so Satan is really the main character of the story. In a lot of ways, yeah. We, we find that there are several characters that inhabit the poem, but in a certain way, the protagonist, and it's sort of, a, sort of an anti-hero, of course. Yeah. It's not that Milton wants to praise Satan, Mm-mm. but there is a centrality to Satan as almost the main character in yeah. this text. And he's not painted unsympathetically. Yeah. And I think that Milton is making the point that we human beings have that same penchant. Yeah that Satan has within us, that yeah. that original sin that causes us to want to rise up mm-hmm. and be more than than what we are yeah. in our own eyes. Yeah, rather than separate Satan from ourselves yeah. and say, oh, he's he's Right, he's, he's, he's evil. the evil he's, over there. Yeah. Well, no, like Solzhenitsyn said, mm-hmm. evil runs through the heart of every human being. Right. So, and uh, I think Milton was very much on the same page right, with that. Right, so we can kind of identify with Satan. Right. <laughs> I think so. Oh, yeah. 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 There is no doubt about it. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean by his, he's written sympathetically. Right. You cannot help but identify with mm-hmm. Satan at various places yeah. throughout this epic. So what was Satan's famous line? Better to, better to reign. Oh, yes. <laughs> this is probably one of the most famous lines from the poem. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Yeah. Isn't that it? Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. So two other characters, of course, are Adam and Eve. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because... Paradise Lost was a, a, a sort of new kind of epic at that time. Right. If you yeah, it was a, yeah. a, a biblical epic yeah, but it that was a, dealt with sort of a domestic Yeah, theme. it was a domestic epic. Right. And actually, probably more than anything else, that's what made me fall in love with this oh, poem. Yeah, it deals with a romantic relationship. Uh, right. And yeah. a real love relationship. Right. Within biblical Within the biblical story. No, within bound the boundaries within of the biblical of God's boundaries. boundaries. Of, right. The the sexual union is is given prominence, but it's made beautiful and not dirty in any mm-hmm. way. And that, I think, was somewhat revolutionary for the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway, Adam and Eve, they each have distinct personalities. Yep. You know it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and those who would try to paint the biblical position of women as subordinate to men yeah. would be right on one level and completely wrong on another. Right. Because it makes it clear that though these two are in a a structured relationship, one is not better than the other. In fact, their equality is of different sorts. Right. And one is better at one type of thing, and the other is better at something else. Right, they're distinct. But that together, they Mm. are a single force that is almost unstoppable. And of course, you know, together they fell too. Right, right. And, And talking about the fall... Adam was portrayed as sort of like a heroic figure because Eve was made through him, so he must also die if she dies. Right. Yeah, so Adam actually makes the point, and we'll get there hopefully Mm -hmm. as we study this, that uh, he would rather 
die if Eve is going to go. Yeah. It's yeah. like, if she's done this, then I will follow. Right. And there's something heroic and something tragic. <sighs> yeah, tragic about that, but also beautiful because yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah. It's like, if you're gone, what purpose do I serve anymore? Yeah, yeah. Or, or even if I have a purpose, it's like, I don't want to serve it. <laughs> right. I know, what, I know what you're saying, John. Yeah. Okay. And then there's Michael and Raphael. They make the, the, the angels, Michael and Raphael, make an appearance. Right. Of course, the son of God, and right. God the Father. Yeah. So those are the characters, the main characters. Right. The only characters, right? Right. And God the Father and the Son are both sort of remote characters, yep. almost as, a, as we would expect God to be the great mystery. Mm -hmm. But present and real personalities, but not personalities on the order of those we understand more clearly. Yeah. Even Satan is far more personal in the yeah. sense that we understand him yeah. than we understand God the Son and God the Father. So there's several themes in the poem. The topmost one that you found most exciting is marriage. Yes. Yeah. I absolutely love yeah. the portrait that Milton paints of the love between Adam and Eve. Yeah. Kind of like an, an entwining of each other yeah, and a dependence on each other, yep. but yet thriving through their differences. Yes, thriving. And that's a great way to put it, thriving through their differences. Yeah. There's an element of idolatry. Hmm? Right. Milton constantly shows us the various things that we can raise up in place of God. Yeah, it was kind of interesting take by him because one that you wouldn't have expected Right. You would expect from that time period a much more traditional, traditional notion of idolatry. Yeah. And yet Milton seems to even indicate that we can take the relationship with the church. Right. Substituting the ritual. Substituting the ritual for, for the reality. Yeah. So even if it's a pure, a pure idea or a pure thing, eventually it can become idolatry. Idolatrous, yeah, right. Yeah. Which also the marital relationship yeah. can become, yeah. right? And he makes that point. Mm -hmm. Especially, I think, the man for the woman. Yeah. But, I mean, anything that receives special attention, he says, befitting God. I think that's what Milton that's really says himself. Yeah. Isn't a quote from Milton that anything that receives special attention befitting God is idolatrous? Is idolatrous. Yeah. I don't know if that was a quote or not, but it would be a good one. Yeah. It probably, I think it's right. Yeah. Um, there's also a reference to the monarchy, idolatry of the monarchy. And then another theme is morality. Yeah, the theme of morality is certainly woven throughout. There are places where the angels reveal the coming history of man to Adam. Yeah. And it shows both the, the rising up of the, the great individual moral mm -hmm. character who follows the will of God, but stands in opposition to the broad swath of mankind who has yeah. fallen into idolatry and sin. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, morality, of course, in any Christian epic is going to take some sort of prominent position. Yeah. So one of the moral themes that he develops is the idea that no man should be subject to another man. Yeah. And that we talked about his radical views. Yeah. That yeah. was one of his radical views. Right. Yeah. The idea that no man should be a monarch. No one should have be wielding authority over another one outside, of course, the, the structural authority. That's necessary for a social structure. Right. But Milton was no fan of power being taken and wielded over other human beings by, by other human right. beings. Right. Okay, so I think that we heartily introduced Paradise Lost. Do you think so? Okay, yep. Do you have anything else you want to say? 
I'm really looking forward to doing Mm -hmm. this. And we hope that our listeners will enjoy it too. Nice break from all of the heavier stuff. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, there's too many heavy things in life right now. Yep. For us too. Worldwide. (laughs) And personally. Yeah, and personally. I think Paradise Lost is something that should be read, but it's... Yes. Yeah, um, I think it's been neglected nowadays, huh? Neglected and purposely so, I think, by our culture. Yeah. The current power structure that is running the Western world does not want our students, Mm -hmm. our culture to know where we came from. They don't want them to know our history because then we could start thinking about how bad things are now in the way they're being run, not how bad they are materially. We've never lived in a more materially rich culture in the history of mankind. But we're in the process of dismantling all of that in favor of an authoritarian structure that we could have avoided simply by knowing our history and thinking more clearly about the things. And therefore, systematically, And I've seen it in my lifetime, and I know you've seen it, Mm -hmm. from the 60s onward, we've dismantled the humanity's Mm -hmm. values that have brought the Western world to where we are. And I would, of course, say the Christian values. Right, right. And and again, so I guess we can end on this positive thing. It's because we've adopted Hegel's abandonment of transcendence. Right. And in doing so, We've lost all of the structures, the historical Mm -hmm. structures, the humanitarian structures, the religious structures that made us work as a society. Right, right. And that's the driving force behind simple gifts. Right. To reacquaint the Western world with its histories, its traditions, and its knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I mean, life is so fast and we're so short of time. So if, if you turn on one of your readings while you're driving to work or walking. And you can get through Paradise Mm -hmm. Lost by listening once a week for a year Mm -hmm. for for about 15 minutes each time. Yeah. Yeah. You try to limit, limit each, each reading to only 10 or 15 minutes. Right. We have the link to John's reading of Paradise Lost without commentary in this description. Then if you want commentary on it, tune in on Monday to hear John pull something out of book one and then listen to us discuss book one on Thursday. But if you want to hear the entire poem in order without without, without it being breaks. yeah. Um, yeah, if you want to hear it in order, we have it in a playlist on YouTube. So for those who want to hear it straight through, YouTube would be the way to go. Right. We have those links in the description. Um and if you're listening to us through our YouTube channel, we'd love for you to subscribe. Okay, so thank you for joining us and hope you're having a great week. If you have any questions, anything you'd like us to discuss, any episode ideas, just leave us a comment. We love to hear from you. And John answers as best as he can. Lately, he hasn't been able to answer very well because things are... A bit under the weather and a lot of things going on. Yeah, you haven't been feeling well too. So yeah, it's a lot of pressing things right now. So pray for us. Yes. Appreciate that. Very much Mm -hmm. so. As always, if you want to buy us a cup of coffee, you can use the link in the description for that. And we'll see you all next week. I love you, Johnny. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, 
You can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.